Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Harry Potter Book Club. I'm Trevor. I'm Sylvia. I'm Alex. I'm Vera. I'm Crystal. I'm Matt. And we are a group of friends that has invited you into the middle of our book club. Last time we talked about the very first chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Boy Who Lived. Uh, In this episode, we're going to take on chapters two and three. But before we get there, I want to remind you that you can send in comments or questions to hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. And if we really like what you have to say, we may just read it and answer your question or discuss your comment uh, in an upcoming episode. I also want to encourage you, if you like what you hear in this podcast, to rate and review us on iTunes. That would mean the world to us, and it would help others know uh, that this podcast is worth listening to. Well, friends... We have fast-forwarded nearly 10 years with the start of Chapter 2. We are at June 23rd, 1991, and it is Dudley Dursley's birthday. So let's jump in. Dudley. Dudley. (laughs) Bless his heart. Well, I think we are immediately thrown right into what a depressing and sad... 10 years this has been for Harry, and we touched on this the last podcast, um, but here we're going to see just how much he suffered, I think, and what Dumbledore kind of dropped him off into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear in this first paragraph that 10 years ago there had been lots of pictures of a pink beach ball wearing <laughs> different colored bonnets, and now it's all of these other um, pictures of Dudley in, in various situations and and we recognize that even though the photos around the house have changed the obsession that Vernon and Petunia have with their child has remained totally the same it's it's another instance of the fact that on Privet Drive hardly anything has changed at all and this is the context that Harry's growing up in uh uh, a context where uh, the room holds no sign at all that another boy lived in the house too. It really is quite a sad way uh, to introduce this scene. It's the British orphan saga continuing. It's just, you know, we talked about it last time. Matilda, well, she's not an orphan, but just like the, you, you see this theme over and over again and it's continuing here. Um, and it's like miserable, but it's also told with comedic, relief throughout so that there's kind of a light tone even as they're describing his really sad life yeah and i think you picked up i mean especially in this first paragraph what re- really struck me was just how boring you know it, it everything seemed i mean it, like just in the house i mean it, it it is heartbreaking for harry certainly and we the, the further we get we realize just how heartbreaking it is but i thought that it was i mean it's this is a place privet drive is a place that just nothing happens, you know, and they like it. I mean, they, they want it to stay that way, which is in contrast to the wizarding world where fun and exciting things happen. You know, there are, they always describe the wizards in these uh, really unique dresses. Um, you know, they have unique colors of purple and emerald green and all, and all this. And so uh, that's something that struck me, at least reading in the very beginning of this chapter. Yeah, even though we fast-forwarded 10 years, there there are a lot of consistent themes that are brought from Chapter 1 into Chapter 2. And I think that contrast that we began to see in Chapter 1 between 
the non-enchanted world, uh, the world not just of muggles, but of muggles who are afraid of imagination, uh, versus the enchanted world uh, of wizardry and witchcraft, uh, a world where whatever you can imagine doesn't go far enough towards explaining what could actually happen on any given day. I think it's interesting, though, this setting of Privet Drive where hardly anything has changed at all. It appears so well-to-do, so well-composed, uh, having it all together, rather rather boring as people go on with their lives. But we get to go into one house, and we realize that it is a war zone. It's absolutely chaotic, that there are all sorts of uh, disproportionate desires and abusive tendencies and destructive family dynamics, and that those are actually working towards maintaining uh, this veneer of normalcy. It, it made me wonder how many other homes on Privet Drive are just as chaotic as the Dursley home, where the desire to fit in and the desire to be accepted uh, looks good on the outside, but is really creating a tumultuous interior um, and pulling a family apart by the seams, really, even if they don't realize it. I do think, I think kind of along the lines of what you said, Matt, about it being boring, the one thing I love is, like, how endearingly different Harry is. Like, because, I mean, the first thing we hear him, see him thinking about is this, like, flying motorcycle that he had this dream of. So, yes, Privet Drives may be, like, super boring, but we immediately are endeared towards Harry's, like, difference and how he's he is imaginative and he... I think it it's just kind of sets you up for his personality, how his defense mechanisms almost start to be just really fun and funny and imaginative. Oh, it's how he escapes this really boring lifestyle. I think he even says, like, just to be somewhere other than Privet Drive or school or Mrs. Figs. Yeah. How sweet. Yeah. I think it I think it gives you hope too just that one like he had a dream about the flying mm -hmm. motorcycle he remembers in some way that you know his life used to be different there used to be magic in it mm -hmm. and so it gives you hope like maybe his life won't always be like this drudgery that he stuck in at the at the Dursleys yeah and this this theme of dreams emerges over and over oh, in yeah. the story mm -hmm. this is not the only time that Harry's dreams turn out to be real mm -hmm. whether for good or later on for ill. Right. Um, the the dreams that Harry often wonders, is that too good to be true? Or is that too terrible to be true? Often it, it's just true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when uh, we've mentioned, uh, I guess, Harry uh, and his abuse, um, or what, um, how he is abused, but I mean, it really comes to uh, a head, I guess, very quickly because it says Harry was used to spiders because mm -hmm. the cupboard under the stairs was full of them and that was where he slept. I mean, that, that line, I mean, is, is heartbreaking and I just think, how much do you have to, to hate a child mm -hmm. to make yeah. them sleep under the stairs in the cupboard? You know, like, yeah. 
I mean, I, it's it's just a heartbreaking line. And, and he's though he's it's his defense mechanism again. It's like, oh, I'm used to this. Like it's it's whatever. I'm gonna just accept this. Like it's it is heartbreaking because you know we think of a cupboard under the stairs. It's like a storage place. It's where you put things you don't want people to see, which we know is very true of Harry. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, it's so depressing. And that and like the he's being treated like a servant. You know, come and make sure the bacon doesn't burn. I want everything to be perfect for Harry's birthday or Dudley. Dudley's birthday. And I mean, you know, they never even recognize Harry's birthday, and yet here it is, like you know, go serve Dudley on his birthday and make sure it's perfect. Yeah. Oh. The the lovable orphan archetype. I mean that. I heard echoes of Cinderella in that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Cinderella, Cinderella, night and day, it's, you know, cin- th- those, that's what the mouse is saying in the Disney version. <laughs> um, but he's, he's literally given the task of serving the other more beloved child. Uh, this, this really does. It has roots in other uh, tales that have, have long been told. What I loved about uh, the, the part that you brought up with the cupboard mm-hmm. uh, being shown to us was how unexpected and sly that reveal was. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I've really appreciated about Rowling's writing in this uh, more detail-oriented read-through in, in preparing for these uh, book club discussions is just how masterful she is at holding on to details until she wants to give them to you. She doesn't come out and say, ten years later, we find Harry under a cupboard. Mm-hmm. It's... It's describing these events of the morning of Dudley's birthday. And, oh, he was used to spiders because they there are lots of them uh, where he stays uh, in the cupboard under the stairs. Yeah. And th- there are more details. We, we get another one later on um, that Dudley actually has a second bedroom right. where he keeps all the toys that he's broken. And Rowling does this, again, so deftly, so masterfully, she just drops that detail in. But meanwhile, we're sitting here saying, oh my gosh, not only is he under a cupboard, but he's under, or he's in a cupboard under the stairs when there's another bedroom that's there's devoted to... There's two other because one of them is a guest room. Of course, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So there's two bedrooms he could be sleeping in. Well, I, I just, I think... Um, the cupboard is brought up and multiple times throughout the series, and in fact, I think it's the, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's the last thing that he looks at, and the last time he leaves the house, right? I mean, he looks in the cupboard and he mm-hmm. sees, you know, and he's remembering and he's saying, "Man, he's this talking is talking ahead." Yeah, yeah. This yeah. this is a lot smaller, you know, than I remember. Right. And he's like, so I mean, this right here, this is his childhood, and this symbolizes, mm-hmm. I think, his childhood. I mean, you you see that and. He thinks about this, and th- this is brought up throughout the series. I mean, this in the end symbolizes how he grew up, and, yeah. um, which again is heartbreaking. And I think we'll we'll say say that multiple times through many of these early chapters. And can we just talk about the scene in the movie in the seventh book when he goes and sees those little horses that he played with in the first movie, and like he's just he's like remembering yeah. how pitiful that was. Mm. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Such of course, in, scene. in a lot of senses, and it seems like this was what Dumbledore had in mind, this upbringing, traumatic and abusive as it is, in the course of the story has prepared Harry for some of the challenges that he'll face. Um, one of them, uh, Harry is used to spiders because the cupboard where he slept is full of them. He's going to need to be used to spiders because <laughs> yeah. he's going to meet a lot. some really some very big, big spiders. spiders. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, moving on from that, uh, we get it on 
a little bit later on in the, the chapter, I mean, Harry's appearance, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's still, uh, it says he had a thin face, knobby knees, um, you know, black hair, bright green eyes, he, wa- he wears glasses, um, but there's also the peculiar detail that uh, the only thing, it's really interesting, the only thing Harry liked about his own appearance was a very thin scar on his forehead shaped in the, like a bolt of lightning, so... I find it curious that she put puts this in here and says it's the only thing that he likes about his appearance, which we find out later on is pretty significant um, to him. And right after that description, we have uh, Petunia Dursley offering Harry a false history um, that he he got his scar in the car crash when his parents died. Oh, and by the way, don't ask questions. Yeah. And we, of course, know, even at this point, that that story is false. And and I guess we're supposed to hate the Dursleys for withholding this important information. I, I was struck thinking about the offering Harry false history, or maybe not being as forthcoming as one mm. could be. Dumbledore does that a whole lot over the course of uh, the seven books. What we hate the Dursleys for, um, I suppose we're frustrated with Dumbledore for, um, although he, he in, in many ways, for different reasons, does a very similar thing uh, in allowing Harry to believe false or incomplete, at least, stories about his own life. Well, I guess we can compare, I mean, Dudley, I mean, it is his birthday, Dudley versus Harry, you know, I mean, and one thing that struck me in this was the uh, 30, what was it, 37 yeah. presents or whatever, <laughs> and he's, uh, uh, I mean, wow, I mean, I can't imagine the entire table being filled with presents, you know, and counting, I mean, I know maybe it's it's over the top, but still... You just, you really, Dudley does not look good at all, I mean, in, in this chapter. And what's, what's even better is the next, the next very next page, Uncle Vernon's like, yeah. that he knows, he knows what he needs, you know, he knows a little, what he wants. once he gets his money's <laughs> yeah, worth, exactly. his money's worth of being our son. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, especially when you compare that to, like, Harry's numerous birthday presents mentioned in the books, like, two an old sock. Yeah, just yeah. Or Kleenex, horrible right. yeah. things. Oh. Uncle Vernon's old socks. I, think, yeah. I always find I I don't know I always found it interesting that they even bothered to send yeah. those things. Me too. Yeah. Like why would you even bother mm-hmm. to send? It really is. Unless I was really wondering if the owl, if the owl was like hounding them to bring a Christmas gift, and so they had to give something to the owl. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like, why would you even bother? I'd rather you forgot my birthday than you sent me, yeah. you know, a toothpick mm-hmm. and a coat hanger or something. We said in our discussion of chapter one that Dudley, in many ways, represents the archetypal modern child. Mm -hmm. And I think here, yet again, uh, we have this archetypal modern child um, who is the apple of his parents' eyes. He's uh, given this effusive kind of love that is actually so over the top and obsessive that it's destructive. Mm -hmm. And yet, the caricature, again, obscures the normalcy of it all. Uh, Rowling has painted a picture 
where we can point the finger at Vernon, Petunia, and Dudley without realizing that maybe in our own families, in our own hearts, uh, the exact same sort of uh, obsessive tendencies exist. Mm-hmm. I think a lot more families are like this, um, even though the details may not be as ridiculous in some mm-hmm. ways. That's why our child only gets to play with measuring cups. <laughs> we don't want to risk a Dursley situation. <laughs> we are not raising a Dudley in this house. <laughs> One thing I, I also thought was interesting um, was the choice of dates. That, you know, Dudley's, you know, this having this big celebration happen. But June 23rd is, is also St. John's Eve, which is traditional day of big celebrating i mean it's where big bonfires have happened all throughout europe you know the danes the spanish even in england this is like a holiday so it's like not only is he getting presents and he's doing all this stuff but like it's it's would seem to him his whole life that the whole country is celebrating all around him you know all that much more emphasis on what's happening um no such holiday i believe on july 20 uh 31st right for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's no there's no special. I mean, it's just the end of the summer, and looking forward to going back to school soon. Like, yeah. well, just comparing Dudley. I mean, his physical appearance. One thing that I've always loved about this particular description is, I mean, Harry's reaction to you know, Aunt Petunia often said that Dudley looked like a baby angel. <laughs> And Harry often said that Dudley looked like a pig in a wig. You get that, like, beautiful glimpse mm-hmm. of his humor. Like, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, throughout the whole series, I mean, even his friendship with Ron, I mean, you see immediately why he connects with certain people, and it's because what even Jenny, I mean, later, if we want to tie it there, he, what he respects and loves about people is the thing in himself that helps him survive this awful environment. It's this, like, humor. So immediately you see this how funny he is, and you just love him for it because, I mean, he could be just really depressed. I mean, he has every right to be this really depressed and sad kid, and instead he, like, turns it around and finds this this humor in even even the, the way Dudley looks, which, you know, is a result of his being spoiled and doted on. I think what's really... What's really amazing about Harry, I guess one of the things that makes him a Gryffindor, he's not afraid of the Dursleys. Yeah. These people that are constantly abusive of him, and Dudley, like literally, his favorite sport is Harry hunting. He chases Harry around and punches him for fun. And he will call Dudley a name to his face, and then he'll run run so that he doesn't (laughs) get punched. But he's not afraid to stand up to them. He's not afraid to say what he thinks and to say, I don't want to do that. That's terrible, you know? Um, And it just... His whole life, he's been oppressed by this people. You think that he would be just downtrodden and broken, but he still has this spark and this fire, and he's so brave to stand up to them. It's just it's a very Gryffindor trait, I think, in him. Oh, it is. Yeah. And I love that Dudley now looks like a pig in a wig, and soon he's going to have a tail to match. Yes. yes. <laughs> and he used to look like a beach ball. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Large pink beach ball. Yep. Well, on this on the same page um, as uh, these descriptions of Dudley's presence and Vernon's encouragement uh, that his son knows how to get his money's worth, we're introduced to a couple characters mm-hmm. um, that we won't actually meet until later on in the story. But first, 
what we run into Mrs. Fig in some dialogue um, that Harry every year was left behind with her, a mad old lady who lived two streets away uh, and who had photographs of all the cats she'd ever owned that um, she makes Harry look at all the time. Uh, of course, here we get this negative portrayal of Mrs. Fig, you know, who just who seems like a, a kooky old woman down the street. Of course, we'll learn that she's kooky because she's a witch, even if she is a squib. Mm -hmm. And Harry, as a matter of fact, is going to be thankful for those cats when, uh, who is it? Um, one of them in particular, oh, I can't, can't find it. Uh, Tibbles, yes, Mr. Tibbles, uh, actually ends up coming to his rescue in a lot of ways when he meets the Dementors mm -hmm. later on. So, we have our first run-in with Mrs. Fig, and then we meet, in the, the smallest way, Aunt Marge, mm -hmm. who hates Harry, we're we know, told. Yeah, and we, we know she, she hates Harry. We, we, can't, we can't even she begin to exactly imagine how deserves. much she no. hates him, no. but we'll see in book three. I, going back to Mrs. Fig, I... It's just such a shame to me that she wasn't able to make his childhood a little better. It really bothers me. She was the only link to the wizarding world that he had. She was his supposed to be keeping childhood. an eye on him. And she's you know? keeping an eye on him. Yeah. And, and I think she says something later like, oh, I couldn't, you couldn't have too much fun with me or they wouldn't let you come back. Mm -hmm. But couldn't she have said, now don't let them know that you have fun mm -hmm. here because then they won't let you come back. But she could have been this bright spot in his childhood. Mm -hmm. And she's this thing that he dreads. Oh, it smells like cabbage over there. I hate those stupid cats. I don't yeah, want to go. She serves some like really old yeah, cake. It, and maybe it is that she's just weird, and that really is you yeah. know the best she could do. She thought she was entertaining him, and she wasn't. I don't know, but it just bothers me so much. <laughs> the only link to the Wizarding World that he has just kind of fizzles mm -hmm. through his whole childhood. I think yeah. she is a little baddie because in the trial she really yeah. is does a terrible job mm -hmm. describing the Dementors right. and like. I don't know. I mean, part of it, you wonder, being a squib, you're kind of an outcast. Like, mm -hmm. she could have... Who knows what she's been through. On the hooch. And, uh, what'd you say? On the hooch. <laughs> <laughs> on the hooch. That's... Sorry. I think that is plausible. Uh, maybe. No, I don't know. Well, that and Sorry, then also... I just don't know what on the hooch means. Oh, it's like drinking. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like mad at She's, she's oh, just... She's just Toasted the whole time she was with oh, him. Yeah, I was so he's, he's telling him pictures of her old cats. Oh. Oh, Sorry, that's a very southern term. Um, <laughs> well, and even her interaction with Mundungus, like I think you get this idea that she's not very bright. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think probably she's just kind of kooky and just doesn't shame. know how to make <laughs> Harry. Maybe she doesn't see a way that she can make Harry's life easier. Mm -hmm. I think one one thing that's interesting, um, while they're they're trying to figure out what to do with Harry so they can go to the zoo with Dudley and his friend um, for his birthday, and, you know, oh, it can't be Miss Fig, she broke her leg, it can't be Aunt Marge, she's, you know, that doesn't work, and, and Aunt Petunia's friend can't do it either. Um, and they say, and Harry says, just leave me here, I'll just stay at the house. And Aunt Petunia says, and come back and find the house in ruins. It's like leaving, they're afraid to leave a puppy at home and he's going to chew up the furniture or something. It's, yeah. he's, he's like less than a dog to them. Well, not only that, but they say, okay, well, 
Plan B, we'll just take him, but we'll leave him in the car. And they yeah, say, and then he's like, oh, oh no, no, it's a new car. A new car. He, he's not staying in there. Yeah, there's no way. Um, yeah, the way they treat him. Not, it's summer, and we probably will get called to DSS. Yeah. <laughs> not that. Well, it's how sad. Car. I mean, how sad that poor Harry, they're talking about him like this, too, with mm-hmm. him in the room. And he, yeah. he even addresses that, mm-hmm. like, they talk about him as if he's some disgusting thing on their shoe, and mm, yeah. he's not there. Oh, yeah, we, we we get descriptions of the dehumanization mm. that actually goes on. And yet again, I know we keep coming back to this, but it's so cloaked in humor and absurdity. And Harry is so obviously resilient to it all mm-hmm. that it's very easy uh, to read it and not appreciate just how devastating this type of thing actually is in in the real world. Yeah. Well, and and again, this is jumping ahead just a little bit. Um, and even the 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 let when he starts receiving his letters. But I mean, I you know you try to think how and how and why could they treat Harry this way? And I mean, they know he's different though. I mean, mm-hmm. like they Harry doesn't know, mm-hmm. but they know he's different. They know he's a wizard. They don't want. They want to stamp this out. And I mean, I'm not justifying it, but that I'm saying that. They know he's different, and therefore they treat him like garbage. Um, it, I, I, I mean, that, that's kind of what, what I see. You, we don't know that they know until later on, but, um, yeah, they treat him like garbage, uh, and he's different. Well, there, may be some, there may be something to that. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, we know that they know because Dumbledore left them a letter. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's obvious that they know when he gets the letter and... They read the first line of the letter and they go purple. They mm-hmm. go green. They're turning all kinds of shades of color. And um, they said, you know, we were going to stamp this out. We just we've got to ignore it. And of course, that doesn't work. But um, I mean, and that's one of the reasons I guess that they go on to say that in this chapter they go on to say that they never believed Harry. You know, like weird things were always happening with Harry. And I mean. Mm-hmm. They knew, like I mean, mm-hmm. they had to know, and that's why, one reason why they never believed Harry is they thought he's doing these things. Harry maybe was doing some things without knowing it. I mean, he was a wizard; he just didn't he didn't know, you know. And it's it's so sad. Just I to, love just his innocent justifications of all of those little things that he did, like when he talks about going to the barber and coming back with his hair cut. But my favorite is when he is, like, found on the school roof. And he's like, I just thought I jumped behind these trash cans in this big gust of wind. Caught me. The wind caught me just right to where <laughs> I was launched on Picture this tiny, naive, like, you know, skinny, scrawny boy, like, jumping to hide from these bullies and, like, oh, I'm suddenly on the roof. I mean, any logical person would probably freak out and panic about... But again, he's, he's 10 right now, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Nope. You can still be logical. He's, he's ten. He's well. He's ten, and he's being neglected. I mean, who knows yeah. exactly the mindset? I, I think it's interesting. As readers, we are sort of being primed to hate uh, Vernon and Petunia. Obviously, we we think, oh, these people are wicked. They're awful. We're rooting for Harry. I guess that makes it surprising then that Harry doesn't turn into the kind of person that Tom Riddle becomes. Mm. Uh, In many ways, Harry is the anti-Voldemort. And we don't know that yet. Uh, But later on, we'll find that the details of their childhood 
line up in remarkable ways. And, and we go back and we read these passages and we see Harry is exactly the kind of person who probably should hate muggles, who should want to assert the superiority of uh, the wizarding world and get revenge on those who oppressed him and kept him down. And yet he, he doesn't turn into that kind of person at all. In fact, when faced with that sort of philosophy and power, he rejects it outright, almost as if it never holds any any attraction for him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think it, it's so interesting that we begin to despise these representatives of the muggle world, and yet Harry will eventually be the kind of person who can reject you know the the path that would exercise vengeance upon the Dursleys or or any other non-magical folks. I mean, to the extent that later you one could argue he does more than he has to to get them to protection and safety. Mm-hmm. I mean, at a certain point when you're arguing with somebody to help them and they refuse to help themselves, you know, there's there's a point where you can throw up your hands and say fine, like I've tried I keep trying to help you, you won't help me, and I gotta go. He had bigger fish to fish to fry than to be spending so, so much time and energy making sure that his aunt, uncle, and cousin, who hated him, were absolutely secure. But he does. Um, and that, to me, is absolutely remarkable. Well, do you guys want to move to the zoo? I mean, mm-hmm. and I guess what happens there. The, oh, the yes. whole, I mean, the the chapter in chapter is called the Vanishing Glass. Right. Um, so I guess we're finally here at the zoo, and yeah. um, and they take him so begrudgingly, and then like you know, Dursley and Pierce get all of these gifts at the zoo, and they're supposed to be having this fabulous time, and then like poor Harry. Once again, we see his neglect. He's like traveling behind the family and but getting it's, a it's light. The best yeah, he only gets things because other people <laughs> assume that yeah. he's a child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the other children. Yeah. Oh, I guess you can have a cheap lemon ice pop. And, he, and then, you know, it wasn't that bad. I mean, he, well, well, he gets, he gets the hand me downs, and up until, you know, the vanishing glass. He says this is one of his best days. Yeah. You know, like, this is awesome. <laughs> it's it's some place. He's not in his cupboard. He's not at school. He's, he's not, not at, with Miss Figs. He's not at, with Miss Figs. He's someplace different, you know, yeah. and this is his best day. Um, and Which we, is so sad. We find out, I guess, he's a parcel tongue without mm-hmm. us really know. Uh, we don't, I mean, eventually we're going to get into that, but we find out that he can... Tall, or he can understand snakes at least, and a snake seems to understand what he's saying to it. Hmm. I I think that's so interesting the way Rowling narrates this event. Harry just doesn't seem phased by the fact that the snake <laughs> totally uh, understands him. I know Harry murmured through the glass, though he wasn't sure the snake could hear him. Not understand. Here. Here. Like, he's Mm -hmm. confident the snake could understand him. As long as the snake can hear him, they're going to be able (laughs) to have a a conversation. And, of course, this is, again, a genius way of introducing us to these details because we're just flabbergasted 
by the fact that, oh, another magical event. Oh, isn't this exciting? What we don't realize is this is way more exciting than we even yeah. realize because being it's a partial mouth is so rare and ends up having all sorts of mm-hmm. possible connotations um, that we just we just have no idea about right now. We're just thrilled that something magical is going on mm-hmm. in, in the life of this uh, abused orphan. <laughs> So what do you guys think about the, the way that they use the theme of talking to snakes in Harry Potter? Because to me, like, there aren't a lot of places where snakes talk to people in Western literature. You got the Bible and the Jungle Book. And to me, this was like the third time I had ever encountered a place where, well, I guess Adam isn't really ever portrayed as a young boy, but... Pretty quickly after Adam is made, he has a conversation with the snake, and then the um, Mowgli. Mowgli in the Jungle Book has a conversation with the snake, mm. and then this one. And after all three, not great events happen. Um, <laughs> um, so, I, what, how, what do you guys think about this? Is, is she? What does she mean? Why? Why? Why this? Why talking to snakes? Well, I think the association with evil in general is Mm -hmm. setting you up to know that Harry's got a piece of Voldemort in him. I mean, it's, it's, we know that he has this ability because Voldemort is horcruxed into Harry, I guess. Or turn that into a verb. verb. (laughs) Okay, well. Um, So, I mean, I think that that, it's the association with evil. Like, Harry's this, like, good character. But snakes are historically evil, so setting him up as someone who can speak parcel tongue immediately makes you like question, like, why can this sweet, good boy talk to this evil, air quotes, evil being? I think it's another thing, too, it comes back to what, what Dumbledore says, it's not our abilities that show who we truly are, it's our choices. Because every time that Harry talks to a snake, it's like to save somebody, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or pretty much every time, right? So we go into the chamber later, and he talks to the basilisk to get it to leave off. And you know, when we when it's trying, the smaller snake is trying to attack Justin Finch Fletchley. He says, "Leave it alone, you know, don't bother him." And so he's he's never sticking a snake on someone or trying to get it to spy like Voldemort right. would do. Um, there's never this this sense that he's using his ability. Um, for his own gain, he's always trying to save somebody. And so I think that sets him apart from the other wizards in the past mm. that have had that have had that ability. And of course, in, in the Harry Potter universe, the, the symbolism of the serpent is quite deep. So we could even explain this within the universe as um, the fact that, that snakes are associated with the house of Slytherin and... Therefore, the heir of Slytherin. So there's all of these other connotations. But again, I think uh, it's perfectly appropriate to say that those are pretty apparently built on existing connotations that we associate with serpents. Stemming mostly from the place of the Bible uh, in the canons of Western literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, I think we could look at that from a variety of perspectives, both literarily but also within the world where serpents mean so much i do wonder though this is like kind of off the trail but i do wonder why it's just snakes and there's only it's only a few people that can talk to just snakes 
and nobody else can talk to any other kind of animal. Yeah. Well, it, it does, you can go far down a rabbit hole because right. you're thinking like, okay, well, this snake, he knows that he, he should be originally from Brazil, uh-huh. you know, and uh, he's like, Brazil, here I come, you know, so are all, and the entire animal kingdom, do they have these these conversations, you know, like, that, that's, that's the way my mind works, is thinking like... <laughs> Like yeah, I mean like if you can't, you, you're just talking to snakes. But what if you could talk to other animals? What if you could talk to dogs? You know, or yeah. or cats? You know, and figure out what your pets. Well, you know, I, I personally have always believed that the heir of Hufflepuff can talk to badgers. Right, not <laughs> not <laughs> as useful, maybe. Maybe not, not but, not as devastatingly lethal. Right. Well, I mean, badgers are ferocious, and they're really good finders. <laughs> so if you needed to get you something. You know, like treasure, perhaps, that was buried somewhere. Maybe a badger would come in handy. Or a niffler. Or a niffler. That's true. I feel like Nifflers are sort of badger-esque. <laughs> yeah, they got little claws. They're kind of like platypuses. Little snouts. That's what made yeah. me think of. Platypi. Platypi. Platypi, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like that. Um, I, feel, I feel kind of like the, the snake thing still tags along with the whole idea of snakes being evil and being associated with evil because... If it's snakes that you're talking to, you're probably sending them out to do, I mean, and this probably goes back to the, the Bible as well, you're sending them out to do evil things, to make people fall, to make people do bad things. So I sort of see it just being snakes because maybe the heir of Slytherin or Slytherin himself like sort of was the first or the first person to establish this, where they had this relationship with snakes where they could do their bidding or they had a special control over snakes and so it evolved or whatever from there. That's, that's kind of why I see it that way. Why it's just snakes. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he cultivated it somehow. Who knows exactly mm. why. But we know that Harry gets in tremendous trouble for mm-hmm. this. I mean, it's the time. I mean, this it's the most trouble he's ever been in, I guess. I mean, right. he's... A, Vernon threatens and even says, you know, you're not eating, you know, no meals. Um, uh, so gets into that. And, I mean, we kind of are now flipping over and getting into Chapter 3. I mean, the letters from no one. Uh, which well, Before we, we go yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. we are given one more detail about uh, the night his parents died. Uh, during long hours in his cupboard, he came up with a strange vision, a blinding flash of green light and a burning pain on his forehead. So we're, we're slowly but surely piecing together um, an understanding of, of what took place. And of course, we're able to put those pieces together better than Harry is. But I think that the end of this chapter, and, and maybe I'm odd in this way, but I think chapters two and three are sort of easy to bypass in, in a first book that's just full of all sorts of things. Um, these two chapters sort of pick up themes from chapter one, but they are slowly uh, walking the path towards our real introduction to the wizarding world, which is so full of excitement. Uh, And yet there's so many poignant pieces to this. Um, Rowling writes, yet sometimes he thought or maybe hoped that strangers in the street seemed to know him. Uh, this is where Harry is is wishing, longing that somebody would come to take away. And but just that little parenthesis, or maybe hoped, like we get the sense that Harry has learned not to put any trust 
in his most optimistic thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, even when people are recognizing him in the street, odd people, strangers, seem to know who he is. We, we know that's true. Um, that's really happening. He can't dare to believe that, that that's actually happening. Um, his, he's been sort of crushed um, into not taking seriously uh, the things that could bode well for his future. I, I find that so sad, mm-hmm. so heartbreaking uh, at, at the end of this chapter, and yet it, it is building mm-hmm. towards this, this joyful realization that we'll have come chapter three. Yeah. Well, one other thing that I, I love about the end of the chapter is it's like you see Harry sort of longing for all of these things he doesn't have, but that we find out he's going to get. He talks about how he's not allowed to ask questions, how there were no photographs of his family in the house, and then even that he dreamed of some unknown relation coming to take him away, and but the Dursleys were his only family. Mm-hmm. But like later, like Ron and Hermione are his family, and the mm-hmm. Weasleys are his family, and there's just like this beautiful picture of like yeah. he wants these things so desperately. And we know he's going to yeah. get them Sirius in a different Black way. Is yeah, really family in, yeah. in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just I love that, and I mean he gets this beautiful picture book with you know his parents' photos and mm-hmm. the Order of the Phoenix photos, and then you know he asks Hagrid all kinds of questions, and he asks Dumbledore questions, and he gets all of those things that he's longing for. Well, I think it's interesting, uh, again, in chapter three, I mean, we get uh, a look at uh, Dudley and some of his gifts, and I I found it really interesting that um, his gifts were either destroyed or Mm -hmm. they were somehow used to destroy something around, you know, I mean... Something around the house, or uh, hurt somebody, run over. I think uh, a dog, a neighbor's dog. No, went, Mrs. Fig. Mrs. Fig. Okay. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, his it's just used for rampant destruction. You know, yeah. like, I mean, all these gifts that are given. I mean, to him, and, and is really, I guess, destroying him. I mean, we see that, but. And a lot of things he just wanted because he wanted to have them, to possess them. Like, for example, his bike. Harry right. said, why did he even want this bike? He doesn't like exercise. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was just he wanted to have these things. And he unwraps a gold wristwatch. Right. What does a 10-year-old boy yeah. need with, or I guess yeah. he's turning 11, what does he need with a gold wristwatch? But again, that goes back to, I mean, he got, what, 37 gifts. Mm-hmm. And he was complaining. He was counting each one and saying, oh, but last year, you know, I got... This, you know, this number, I mean, I, 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 he wants more and more and more, and it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. He just wants it. He wants more. Yeah. Of course, in this chapter, we get more of Harry's quick wit. Um, when Dudley asks if he wants to practice, you know, having his head stuffed down <laughs> at the toilet, you know, Harry turns it around as if it were Dudley's head and says, the poor toilet's never had anything as horrible as your head down it. It might be sick. <laughs> and, and then he the, ran. <laughs> and then uh, the, his, what will be his school uniform is uh, in the sink being dyed. <laughs> and Harry just looks at Petunia and says, oh, I didn't realize it had to be so wet. <laughs> and this is so endearing right now because, again, we've got this t- traumatized uh, 10-year-old uh, who 
is just remarkably funny. And yet mm-hmm. that same wit and the inability to control it is going to get him in so much unnecessary yeah. trouble. Yeah. And at so many points throughout these books at Hogwarts, particularly with like people like Snape, Snape. Oh. we're just like, Harry, can you please yeah. just hold it, exercise some self-control. Put down on the snark. Yeah, one of, one of the things that we love about him just will will get him into significant trouble down the road. And then his his school uniform. How sad when he's talking about like being like elephant skin hanging off. Of him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna look just like everybody else. <sighs> sure. Sure. Well. well, I don't. How about in contrast, Dudley's? I mean, it has maroon tail coats, <laughs> mm-hmm. orange knickerbockers, and flat straw hats called boaters. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to imagine that, and that's just I don't. It know, looks like that's not, a, that that sounds fun to me. Yeah. It's, it's not pleasing to the uh, eye. I, I don't. I mean, maybe, maybe it is. I am. Yeah, I don't no. know. We know from the movie it is not, not pleasing to the eye. <laughs> yeah. But the smelting stick. Uh huh. That's important. Yeah. And I love the exchange uh, where Uncle Vernon says, "Get the mail, Dudley. Make Harry get it. Get the mail, Harry. Make Dudley get it." Poke him with your smelting stick, Dudley. <laughs> like that, we can wonder how many times has that type of conversation happened in the Dursley household over the past ten years. <laughs> of course, and this is the point where a letter arrives for Harry, and we know from the moment we read the address on the front that it's no ordinary letter because it says Mr. H. Potter, the cupboard under the stairs, and I, I think this is. So beautiful because it is a it is proof that somebody sees mm-hmm. Harry. Uh, he may be uh, put away in the smallest space in the house in this cupboard under the stairs, but somebody sees and somebody knows. And Harry doesn't know who, but I think in that moment we we are so overjoyed because we aren't the only ones as readers who see Harry's predicament. Right. The fact that he is seen and known by somebody, even somebody he, he doesn't know, is a powerful spark of hope mm-hmm. uh, in a situation that we just established where Harry has been taught not to believe his hopes. No. And I read that as a indirect indictment mm-hmm. of the Dursley oh, by whoever absolutely. was. Because <laughs> right. it's... it's more specific than the house. It's saying, no, no, no. He doesn't really live in this house. Yeah. He, he really is under the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, yeah, I mean, that that's the most interesting line, I think, uh, when it's addressed, is the cupboard under the stairs. And uh, I think that strikes um, Uncle Vernon especially. You know, they're saying... Is there somebody watching us? Yeah, they know where he sleeps. They know exactly where he sleeps. There's somebody watching. And it's only then that they think that perhaps they're being watched by somebody else Mm -hmm. that they even start to thaw to Harry and Mm -hmm. say, well, we need to get him upstairs in an actual bedroom Mm -hmm. instead of under the stairs. Um, It's only then that they think, we could maybe get in trouble for some for yeah. doing someone, this. Yeah, someone someone is watching after this kid. Yeah, and we thought that we had hidden him away pretty good, but well, somebody and, knows. And a family who is so worried about appearances, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they they that's like, it. It is an indictment, but mm-hmm. and it's an indictment in the course of the narrative that they don't show mercy 
for the sake of showing mercy, they show mercy because they believe they're being seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being seen is the most important thing yeah. in the Dursley's lives. Mm. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, this really struck a chord with me. I mean, just picking up the letter, I know we've, we're always saying, you know, like, like I feel so sad for Harry, but, I mean, this is just one of those instances where he picks up that letter and he says no one ever in his whole life had ever written to him, mm-hmm. you know. He has no friends, no other relatives, you know. And, so he's, I mean, not, I, I, he's not even a member I, I, of the I, library. I, yeah, he's not even a member of the library. He can't even get overdue notices, you know, <laughs> sent to him. I mean, so I'm just thinking, I mean, just the shock, you know, like just mm-hmm. trying to imagine this, you know, looking at him just pick up this letter and looking at it and what's going through his head. I mean, it just, ah, uh, it really tugs at my heart right there. And the I mean, defeat of them taking his letter like the shouting that i want my letter like it's it's you know normally he's so like happy-go-lucky like i mean no matter what his circumstances he's just he shrugs it off with humor or some snarky comment but here he's like no i want my letter because he is being seen for the first time because he he feels like somebody is reaching out to him and to have that like ripped away yeah you get what you want. You know, he's. We just heard he's dreaming about someone coming to take him away, and then he gets this letter, and then it's ripped from his hands, literally. It, it always frustrates me why he didn't like open it, hide, open it in the hallway, or hide it in the cupboard and come back for it later. You never had a thing that was yours. Did you think they would let you keep it? But I, I guess you know it has my name on it. They can't take it from right. me. Yeah. Of course, they can't. Innocent. They yeah. hate you, Harry. Yeah. But it, it's this really interesting. Uh, event that happens over and over in these moments where Harry is experiencing something magical there's always this rotten kid watching over his shoulder about to tattle on him like yeah. wasn't it Piers at the zoo mm-hmm. yeah. saying mm-hmm. oh my gosh look what Harry's doing and now it's Dudley Harry's got a letter he's mm-hmm. opening something and it's like people can we not just let the kid enjoy something <laughs> <laughs> but there's it's, it's interesting that there's always this rotten child mm-hmm. somewhere in the background pointing out that Harry's about to experience joy we must not let this happen yeah it's funny that later that's Malfoy right I was gonna say it sets him up to be prepared for Draco right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well of course the the Dursley's reaction is violent um, Vernon actually picks up Harry and Dudley by the scruffs of their necks and throws them into the hall, which is a very cartoony mm-hmm. thing. Uh, yet again, the idea of someone picking up some by the skin of their neck, like a dog, and chucking them out into a different part of the house. Like, this really is, it's an, it's an abusive situation. Mm-hmm. Again, cloaked in ridiculosity. Um, but this is, this is, significantly violent um and vernon's statement is didn't we swear when we took him in we'd stamp out that dangerous nonsense and as readers of book one you know you know only a a couple of pages into uh, harry potter's story we already know this was destined to fail this is a fool's errand you can't stamp out the magic from harry potter he's got a book named after him after all that's what we're (laughs) thinking as readers readers of course as those who have seen Fantastic Beasts, we've discovered that stamping the magic out of a child is quite a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. That it's not just a fool's errand the way it seems to be in Harry's situation. 
but can actually have uh, devastatingly damaging effects on the child and people really, around them. and anyone yeah. anyone in the vicinity especially glass <laughs> seems like glass in the vicinity is, is not going to be doing great yeah. 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 well th- it's, this is also the first time that we see um, Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia actually uh, throw I mean Dudley out you know mm-hmm. th- this is this is a complete change this is a 180 I mean because anything that he does is, is adorable even, even mm-hmm. the things that are, are despicable you know it's adorable to them but Right here at this moment, I mean, this is a, a huge turning point. They realize yeah. our world's about to, to come crashing down. Like, mm-hmm. it's about to shatter. Something's about to break. And they, I mean, Dudley, he needs to get out of this. Um, and, and again, it's a complete 180 on, mm-hmm. on how they treat mm-hmm. Dudley. Yeah, when Dudley, when Dudley gets in the way of what Vernon and Petunia want most, which is their normalcy, when he is not a means to that end, but is rather... Potentially an obstacle to that. Dudley gets treated the way Harry does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he becomes an outsider. Yeah. And it just gets worse for Dudley. <laughs> As we go, he misses yeah. the great Umberto. A really, <laughs> really tough day. Yeah. I mean, like well, we've said before, Harry gets out of the cupboard. He's yeah. uh, in Dudley's trophy room or not yeah. really trophy room all of his presents where mm-hmm. all his mm-hmm. t- broken toys come to die mm-hmm. and yeah. it seems yep. like yeah and I, I mean yard. oh yeah. gosh like when he says when he's crying to his mom and saying like but I don't want him up there you know like I need that room you know oh I just it just grinds me the wrong way you know yeah. I, I love how she does that I love how Rowling does that because mm-hmm. um, I just want to Mm, just ring, you know, <laughs> grab him by the scruff and yeah, throw him. You want to pull a Vernon? I yeah. want to pull a Vernon there. I mean, it says, you know, the, like the next day, Dudley is in shock. He screamed. He hit his father with the smelting stick. He got. He made himself be sick. He kicked his mother. He threw his tortoise through the greenhouse roof, and he still didn't have his room back. Poor tortoise. He. Ha- I know. Be allowed. There's that kid. To have another living creature. I know. That is just... I mean, they may hate Harry Potter, but, like, that, I mean, do they also hate, like, everything? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. It's Poor just, Turtle. He has exhausted his tantrum abilities at this point and still not gotten his yeah. way. But then we find out that Harry gets another letter, and mm-hmm. this time the address has changed to the smallest bedroom <laughs> at number four, Privet Drive. Um, so again, this really freaks Vernon out. And I know this is the point where I think Uncle Vernon starts to become unhinged. Mm-hmm. And we see it getting worse and worse and worse throughout the, the chapter. But right. I picture Dumbledore like scribbling the address on that envelope and like chuckling. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, <laughs> As he eats a lemon drop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but of course, this is another indictment to your point, Alex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may not be the cupboard under the stairs, but it's the smallest bedroom. Right. And and this letter is yet again uh, a statement that don't think we haven't noticed, don't think I haven't noticed, mm-hmm. that even though Harry's been promoted to an actual bedroom, it's yeah. the smallest. Right. But it's also, I mean, it's a lifeline to Harry. I mean, Harry knows, like, like we said mm-hmm. before, that somebody is watching him 
very closely. Yeah. And it's um, constant. It, it, it wasn't constant. a one-time and, thing. And, and that's the thing is he knows now, well, if they're watching me this closely, they probably know that I have not received this letter. Mm-hmm. And it gives him hope. Like, this mm-hmm. is a ch- this, this is hope for Harry. He's finally, mm-hmm. he's got something to go after. Um, he wants to know what's in this letter. Uh, and it's, it's exciting to see how the, the chapter unfolds from there. Yeah. And Vernon uh, starts developing plans to keep the letters out of the house, even as Harry's devising plans to finally open up a letter. I love what Petunia says, though, um, as Vernon nails up uh, the mail slot. I'm not sure that'll work, Vernon. <laughs> and like we remember in this moment, Petunia has exposure to the wizard, wizarding world. Mm-hmm. She knows what wizards are capable of, mm-hmm. and she sees her husband, you know, merrily working along. And she's just like, "I'm not sure that's going to work." <laughs> honey. Yeah. But the picture of Vernon humming tiptoe through the tulips, mm-hmm. yeah, a tiny Tim song. <laughs> I just trying to be normal is actually making Vernon crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I think the irony is it's thick, but it's realistic. Uh, we, when we obsessively pursue something, we become the kind of people who are who are often actually the opposite. Uh, the person who has to be loved by everybody is socially unbearable because everybody sees through it. The person who needs to be physically beautiful often alters their body to where they're clearly artificial and unseemly. Uh, Vernon, who needs more than anything to be normal, lets the anxiety of trying to be normal make him insane. I mean, he's he is blubbering and muttering to himself, you know, shake him off, shake him off. Like, <laughs> like, My favorite. And, and Dudley's like, Mommy, has Daddy gone mad? And yeah. of course the answer is, yes, he has gone But this is a, a dynamic of humanity that I think Rowling uh, describes for us in humorous ways. She allows us to laugh at it, even as if we are paying attention, we see ourselves in it. Yes, I I thought every I mean everything that he did was useless, but I thought particularly for that aim of preventing people from talking about him and knowing about him, nailing the mail door shut is like the first thing that's going to shock a postman to then have something to start a conversation about with the neighbors. Like yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> That's such a blatantly obvious thing. Hey, did you know that they nailed their yeah yeah their mail slot shut? I mean, that's sort of weird, isn't right. it? Right. And then the um, the 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 milkman that has to deliver the two dozen eggs through the living room window to Petunia, and then those end up being filled with crumpled up letters. Mm-hmm. Like that is. That's imaginative. Yeah. Dumbledore really enjoyed that one, I think. Yeah, it is. And, and again, it's interesting just, I mean, the more Vernon tries, mm-hmm. the worse it's it's mm-hmm. getting, you know. Mm-hmm. He Wait. cannot cover this up. The milkman delivered eggs? Yep. Is that normal? Is that is that something it's that would happen? It's got to be a British thing. got to be a British thing. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or maybe it was like, you have a delivery of eggs coming to your house. 
I don't know why that's happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you're right, though, that the absurdity of it all, as a reader, we see Vernon getting crazier and crazier, pulling yeah. tufts out of his mustache <laughs> and just you know going off the handle. And we know this is a sign that Harry, Harry is going to win in the end. Yeah. Because Vernon is uh, driving himself mad, and he's failing every step of the way. It's only a matter of time. All I have to do is keep reading in this chapter, and I just know Harry is going to get his letter. Yeah. And can I just say that in, in the movie, like I love how the movie, the climax, I guess, mm-hmm. of this letter scene where yeah. just it... They start shooting down the chimney, and they start coming through the mail slot, and they're they're coming from all over the place. I I love that scene. Yeah. I think I think it's an awesome scene. It's very uh, well done. Yeah, in the movie. I um, love it too. Except that you know the youngest seeker in a century can't can't get letter. one letter. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah I was he should be, they're, they're all over him. He yeah, should be covered in letters. I'd be stuffing them down in my pants. And there, like, there's letters <laughs> raining down, and he cannot and you can't get one. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> but I do, yeah, I do love that scene, and I think they do, they do it justice. I mean, it doesn't it happen exactly the same way in the book, but I mean, it's it was a very interesting scene that shows, I mean, just how crazy this was getting. Mm-hmm. And I love that no post on Sundays, as if the wizards are using the postal system in any <laughs> yeah. kind of normal way. You know, you, you know, you, they don't have a stamp on any you, of these letters. You just got a dozen letters in your eggs, yeah. and, you're, and you think that the. To whatever he can. Yeah, well, and, and like you were saying before, he's, that he he will he refuses to think beyond yeah. normalcy. No, they're no, just no, weirdos, no, yeah. you know. They're just kooks. They're just they're just dangerous nonsense. Right. None of it. Never uses the word magic. No. Nope. Never use that word. Well, we know that Harry or Vernon packs everyone up mm-hmm. and leaves and. They're still following Harry. I mean, uh, he still gets more letters. He gets a hundred letters at the hotel that they stay at mm-hmm. that he thinks they're going to be safe at. And I mean, by then, by then, I think Vernon's gone. Like he's just he, yeah, he's completely unhinged at this point. But this is the moment, though, where Rowling tells us it's Monday, and Monday isn't just important because Dudley misses the great Humberto, uh, but. It's important because Monday's the day before Tuesday, which is Harry's birthday. So at this point, we know that Monday is July 30th, 1991. I love being able to write the dates in the margin. (laughs) This is like an exciting thing for me. Um, And Vernon comes back saying, I found the perfect place. You guys are going to love it. (laughs) He he brings up a toothless old man uh, who lets them rent uh, his boat. Uh, to take out on, on the freezing water. And of course, this is precisely the sort of man Vernon Dursley would never be seen with. Mm-hmm. We saw that his his passion for normalcy and fitting in and receiving approval caused him to turn against his beloved Dudley, but it also causes him to make an unlikely ally in the toothless old man who has a boat. <laughs> it's just it's interesting how uh, someone whom Vernon would never associate with otherwise becomes his best friend. He presents him proudly to the family. <laughs> Did anyone find the uh, bag of chips and four bananas yeah. kind of humorous oh, I there? Love this. Yeah. His, his, 
Yeah, uh, the the rations. Got some rations. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got the rations. We're we're, we're good to go. We'll I think it just furthers the idea that he's gone mad because, especially we know about the Dursleys, like they are really kind of gluttons. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's like, "I've got rations. We're good. Let's just get on this boat and get away from these wizards." And again, I mean, he he's leaving. You know, and again, he's taking all this time off from work. I mean, obviously, he's not thinking it through. I mean. Eventually, he's going to have to come back. I mean, what's his game plan here? What's his long-term game plan? That That's kind of when I was reading this. Shake him off? Yeah, yeah, just shake him off. I mean, shake him off is the plan. Eventually, you're going to have to come back, so yeah. I, I don't know. His pride will not let him yeah. lay this yeah. down, though. Yeah. <laughs> he gets stuck by his pride quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's in, in the night uh, on, on that Monday uh, on this little island in... A shack that barely looked like a shack that Harry watches the minutes tick down on Dudley's lighted watch, um, counting down to his birthday. Five minutes to go, four minutes, ten, nine, three, two, one, boom. boom. And so, chapter three draws to a close. Any concluding thoughts before we? close this chapter of the Harry Potter book club. I will say that this is one of those rare instances where I really loved the way the movie portrayed a scene. And I loved Harry in the dirt on this cabin mm-hmm. floor, making himself a birthday cake and blowing out the candles. Yeah. Like, oh, it just yeah. talk about pulling out your heartstrings. I mean, they, she really sets you up to love Harry, but that is just one of the sweetest things because it's something he's imitating. I mean, we just saw, you know, Dudley having this huge birthday mm. bash. And Harry is celebrating by himself. And, and, you know, in typical Harry fashion, he talks about, like, maybe I'll even wake Dudley up to bother him for my birthday. Like, he gives himself a birthday present. But that scene, whew, that was a good scene. Yeah. All right, friends. Well, it looks like, at least for now, we around the table at the Harry Potter Book Club have said all we have to say about chapters two and three of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. In our next episode, we'll take up chapters 4 and 5, so be sure and read those ahead of time. Again, uh, send us any comments or questions to HB... Whoop. (laughs) What is it again? HPBCFanMail at gmail.com. And we would love it if you would rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We look forward to our next gathering of the Harry Potter Book Club, and we hope that you'll be there to join us.